Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is time once again for another episode of Here We Go, the Steelers Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. I'm the podcast producer here at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. And gosh, I'm thrilled. I'm blessed to be beside this man every single week. Well, actually, when you say beside, talking through speakers, I have yet to shake hands or hug this man, but one of these days I'm going to get to New Jersey and do so. My great friend, and I honestly say that, his name is Kevin Thatcher Smith, and he is with you and all of us tonight. KT, what is up? Hey, Brian. Um, as we record, it's it's Thursday night, February 2nd. It's Groundhog Day. And uh, right before we came on the air, I was watching the movie Groundhog Day. I'm, I did I assume, not. I, I don't need to. Okay, I was going to say, I assume, I don't know for a fact, but I'm assuming you're a big Bill Murray fan. Bill Murray, for me, is that guy that, Bill Murray and Steve Martin are those guys that, you know, anything they do, you, you go towards. And Bill Murray, I was a kid when, I mean, you and I are pretty much the same age. I was 12 when Ghostbusters came out. So Bill Murray's my guy. I love Groundhog Day. I love Lost in Translation. I would probably say Stripes is one of my favorites, too, but... Bill Murray, I have a, a soft spot for, and I went to a Lego convention and somebody did a Bill Murray mural out of Lego. And I have that on my phone. I'm going to have to send that to you. It's just an amazing thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You know, his catalog of movies is fantastic. And um, I, I think Lost in Translation, you know, is one of his best where he plays a little bit more of the straight guy. And, and then he sort of adopted that role as he got older. He took on some roles where. Uh, where where he played that uh, he was in a really cool movie called Moonrise Kingdom, which uh, had starred you know Bruce Willis and um, some other some other A list uh, Francis McDormand and he's and he's oh, kind of like a, a somber you know sort of like pathetic character in that movie. So anyway, I enjoyed watching some Bill Murray today on Groundhog Day. Well, with that we can't play the music, but we can. I could always say bum 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 bum. I got you, babe. <laughs> yeah. So nice going, guys. You, you're playing yesterday's tape. That's what that's what he says as, <laughs> as he wakes up. <laughs> and the you know the camera crew was based out of Pittsburgh. I think it was like a right. Channel Four. Yeah, out of uh, Pittsburgh. Yep. I think that's what they used, or or something like that. A takeoff on that. So yeah, I I actually need I need to introduce my family to Groundhog Day. I'm glad. Yeah. You now you're now up. you're you're a Pittsburgh area native. Have you did you ever go up to Punxsutawney? I never did. Uh, my program director at the first radio station I ever worked for a guy named rich, great guy. He was from Punxsutawney. He went to Punxsutawney high school and they had the groundhog King and queen and all that stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you know, that to me is just phenomenal stuff. Uh, never did it just because it's kind of a zoo. You got to uh -huh. get there super early and you're just standing and, and, uh, and waiting, but I think it'd be cool. I think that's a bucket list kind of thing that you should do once. Yeah. That's a definite, a uh, little slice of Americana type thing. Absolutely. And I think that town is kind of like that. It's, it, it's like stepping into yesteryear and I love that kind of stuff. I was in a place called Thurmont, Maryland, two or three days before Christmas and it's very close to camp David and you're driving down the streets and like every, every uh, light pole had a, a wreath on it and they were pumping Christmas carols through speakers. And, and it was, it just seemed like small town America or you're going back to the fifties and it just felt like that. And that's what Punxsutawney reminds me of too. Oh uh, yeah. That's awesome. I love that stuff. So, uh, so speaking of, you know, uh, you know, sort of things that we love, let's, let's, let's talk about the Steelers, man. What are, where, what are we, what are we thinking right now? And as we, as we head a little deeper into the, the off season and, uh, with free agency sort of about a month away or so, where, where, do, where's our, what's our forecast with the Steelers? Well, well, let me ask you this. So you're the football guy. What kind of, what do you think? Kevin, excuse me, Omar Khan's protocol and Andy Weidel, what are they doing right now? Are they looking more, they, the scouting department's probably looking more at film and tape and they're planning their visits, but I think these guys are probably knee deep into uh, top five and top 10 boards as far as free agents, wouldn't you think? 
Sure, sure. Uh, this week, the Steelers are are down in Alabama uh, scouting the Senior Bowl, and so you know they're they're compiling all sorts of lists right now of uh, the the college prospects that they're most interested in, and then obviously the free agency stuff. Um, I think that the Steelers are probably before they they begin to think about other teams' free agents, though they're they're looking at their own. I mean, the, there's a pretty good list of unrestricted free agents on the roster that the Steelers are going to have to make some tough decisions are on, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And so before they can they can move to you know a wish list from other teams, they're going to have to make those decisions about their own guys. Yeah, they they really do, and that's uh, that's something that. The draft is not on the forefront right now because everything that you do in the draft, would you agree, is set up for how you do free agency? Absolutely. You look at last year and everybody understood that the Steelers needed help on the offensive line. Uh, And then in free agency, they spent $72 million addressing the O-line last year with the the signings of Mason Cole and James Daniels and the re-signing, the extension of Chooks Okorafor. And, and that pretty much took care of that as a need. And so they did not then address the line in the draft. So whatever they decide to prioritize in free agency will definitely determine or at least affect their draft strategy. So we're going to play a game for the rest of the show, Kevin. And what we're going to do, we're going to go position by position. And you're simply going to say either draft or free agency. And we can elaborate on that. But how we're going to do this, we're going to see which position is more of a free agent position that you would think for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cool? Right. Good. Sounds great. Let's go. Well, let's let's go to quarterback first. And look, they've got their guy, but they don't have their guys. They might not, we might see turnover at number two and number three. And those are very important roles. And we found that out. My gosh, Kevin, we found that out in the NFC championship game. Dave Schofield wrote a wonderful article this week about, you know, looking at the three quarterback role. That's got to change. Yeah. That's definitely got to change. That's you a gotta, ridiculous role. Do, you, do you remember when they had the emergency quarterback? I can't remember yeah. when they did that, but it wasn't. James Harrison or Antoine Randall L or, or Christian McCaffrey. It was actually your third string QB that they could come in. But once they came in, they weren't going out. Right. They, they need to bring that back. Right. I don't, I, I don't understand why you just don't have more control over your game day roster. Why, why can't you keep three guys active if you want? Why can't you swap quarterbacks in and out? I mean, you, in basketball and, and hockey, you can take guys in and out. You can, you know, like I don't understand the the logic behind you can't change your quarterback. It really actually would create greater strategy. It would make the game more interesting if you could kind of shuttle them in and out. Uh, it would make it more challenging on defenses. And I mean, I you know, and I'm I'm sure that people have written about the the specific reasons for it. I've just never bought any of them. Absolutely, and. That's that's one of those things. It just doesn't make sense because when, my gosh, they brought this Brock Purdy kid back in and he couldn't, he had no business throwing. He couldn't throw. I talked to a 49ers fan. He said, I'd rather have McCaffrey because you could have done more things. I, I don't agree with that. I think you need to have a quarterback, but you need to have that third guy with an opportunity to come in because one guy gets hurt. I mean, the odds are another guy could get hurt. So that that's just that's just crazy stuff. So let's look at Mitch Trubisky and let's look at Mason Rudolph. You know, I would probably bet my house that Mason Rudolph's not coming back. Yeah, I agree. I don't think I don't think there's any interest in, in by either party right now. He's going to look for a better opportunity, and the Steelers are going to let him. And that means that. They then make a decision on whether or not to keep Mitchell Trubisky as the number two, which I think they will. I think it makes all the sense in the world because he now has enough experience in the system for him to, uh, you know, be deemed a reliable backup quarterback, and uh, and he's coming back at a at an affordable price for for a veteran, 
Uh, and they're just going to have to make the decision on where do they, how, what do they do about number three? Is number three going to be a, a late round draft pick that they see as a developmental guy, or is number three going to be an older veteran uh, who they feel can lock down the position for a year or so? I, I tend to think that they'll probably go the draft route. I mean, my suspicion is that they would like to have a guy that they can develop for a few years behind Pickett, maybe even groom him to be the backup next season when Trubisky probably moves on uh, next season, as in 2024, I should say. Um, but again, you know, there might there may be some guys on the on the in the free agent market who tempt them on a short term deal uh, that they might be able to get affordably but my sense is that they'll look for a quarterback somewhere in later on in the draft like they did last year with uh with uh chris uh olicadun now i fully expect them to keep mitchell trubisky but i won't be surprised if they don't because there's about eight million dollars in cap savings you don't lose too much if you go ahead and let him go but if you do that you're definitely bringing in you're definitely bringing in somebody from the draft and you're bringing in a free agent, but I would go ahead for this exercise, say draft, but I'm more likely to say undrafted free agent instead of draft, but undrafted free agent is the same as the morning after the draft or the same night. Right. I mean, I mean, Brock Purdy is basically an undrafted free agent. He was the yes. the last pick in the draft. So, you know why they picked Chris Oladukun, don't you? Why? Well, because think about this, and this is Dave Schofield, his philosophy here is like, who as an undrafted free agent is going to go ahead and come in with the Pittsburgh Steelers who just drafted Kenny Pickett and picked up Mitchell Trubisky? Nobody. So what they needed to do, well, Dave's philosophy also is a seventh round pick is an undrafted free agent that you have the rights to, that has to come to you. Basically, you're not expecting anything more from that guy than you are from an undrafted free agent, but you go ahead and draft them to have the first right of refusal on, you know, you decide whether you want to let them go or not. And that's what they did with uh, Oladukun. But so that's why they brought him in, because who in their right mind is going to sign in that situation? Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I and I suspect uh, they've got a couple late round picks this year too that they can they can go that route again. Hopefully, they won't draft a guy from <laughs> a school in the Dakotas where uh, where all they did was run like you know thirteen personnel offense where, where they slammed the you know the ball down their opponents' throats to look for a guy who's got a little more experience in the NFL style passing offense. I am just thrilled to pieces that they did not pick Brock Purdy. And I'll tell you why this is going to sound crazy, but I'm glad they didn't pick Brock because he would have, he might've ended up with the 49ers anyways, as an undrafted free agent. And then he comes in the same situation and Oh, lo and behold, man, the Pittsburgh Steelers let this guy go. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a scenario I'm making up in my head, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I I heard a lot of uh, people talking about all everybody who got it wrong on Brock Purdy and and you know why did why did this team and that team pass on the guy I, the 49ers got it wrong on Brock Purdy I mean they 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 passed on him for six rounds so I mean their their evaluation of him wasn't great either I mean they basically took him with a throwaway pick and he turned into something so he definitely shouldn't be used as the template for what to expect from late round picks. But if the Steelers can, can find a third string guy late in the draft, I think they'd be pleased with that. Absolutely. So let's talk about the running back position. The Steelers are blessed right now with the, with the uh, one, two punch. And it's basically a one, a and a one C, you know, with Najee Harris and because he's clearly the guy. So this isn't, Rocky Blyer and Franco Harris from the seventies. This isn't even Bam Morris and Eric Pegram from the nineties. This is a different situation here. Najee's still the guy. He's just not the complete bell cow in which he was. And that's one of the smartest things that the Pittsburgh Steelers could do. What they found in Jalen Warren is absolutely phenomenal. 
they they still might need to to add in this situation. Where do you think they would add? I actually think they're in really great shape at running back. Benny Snell's a free agent. I think he's going to walk, but I really was impressed with what I saw out of Anthony McFarland last year. And with McFarland still in the mix, the Steelers have the opportunity now to go Harris, Warren, McFarland. McFarland offers you something that's a little bit different than what those other two backs offer. He's got a little bit of a different gear and he's a little bit more of a slasher and a different style of a runner. Uh, I thought he looked quicker and more decisive uh, last season. I, I mentioned this before when I, when I was at training camp back in August, uh, he's the guy who popped more on the field than any other player. He's the guy I wrote a, an article about that for the, for the website where I just said, if I, if there was one guy who got my attention, it was Anthony McFarland. So I think in addition to what Harrison and Warren offer that, there will be an opportunity for McFarland. So if the Steelers do decide to do something in the backfield, uh, it's probably going to be in the form of, of camp bodies or maybe somebody to come in and compete with McFarland for that number three. I don't expect them to use a draft pick on the running back spot. They'll definitely sign an undrafted free agent. Um, the interesting question will be about at fullback. What, what are they going to do with Derek Watt? I mean, he's, an undrafted free, I'm sorry, he's an unrestricted free agent. And even though Watt has special teams value, as does Benny Snell, it'll be interesting at the at the the money that Watt commands if they try to re-sign him. I, I don't know if they will, because I think that Connor Hayward has shown that he can fill Watt's role on offense and then some, and that his versatility makes Watt expendable. I think Watt could be one of those guys, Kevin, where he is a veteran minimum guy now at this point. I would think that if he's coming back, it's got to be at that number, right? It can't, I, I, I can't remember what his contract was, but I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 6 million for two years, which is, you know, I don't think he's getting uh, anywhere near in the neighborhood of two to $3 million again, given the limited number of snaps that he played. For some reason, I'm thinking it was like three years, 10 or three was, years, nine. Yeah, okay. I, it was a three year deal. OK, but it was or am I thinking four and a half? I I'm thinking something like that. It was it was a nice chunk. And I, I thought he'd done a very good job here when they decided to use him. And when they decided to use him, I think they've gotten value out of the guy. But I don't like how they used him the first season and a half, maybe first two seasons. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I just don't see it. I don't see them evolving into us, into a, a San Francisco style 21 personnel offense where the fullback is on the field for 50% of the snaps, like Kyle Usak is in, in San Francisco. Uh, and they use, they use Kyle Usak in, in a lot of different roles. And, and the Steelers dabbled in that a little bit, but again, with Connor Hayward there, uh, and with the increasing reliance that they had on him to fill that H-back spot, which was an area where they could move Derek Watt if they wanted to, I just wonder if they've got enough snaps for him, you know, to justify bringing him back. If they do bring him back, it might be because he really is a good special teams player and as the special teams captain is a leader on the team. So, so again, man, I think it'll come down to the numbers. Yeah, I'm thinking – undrafted free agent or a futures deal type of guy, you know, a guy off the street really that would have to really turn heads even to get a job here. So that's what I'd be looking at in the fullback position. Let's take a quick break here, Kevin. We will be back right after this. We'll finish the rest of the offense. We'll do the defense and we'll do a very special dude of the week. Man, you've ever seen. There I am on the subway train. Welcome back to Here We Go, the Steelers show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Kevin Smith is with me, and we are talking about Steelers and how they're approaching the offseason, especially with free agency 
for the draft. So we're going position by position, and we're going to go right now. We're going to go to the wide receivers, and this is a very interesting group. So we're going to go ahead and look at this entire thing. Do the Pittsburgh Steelers draft somebody here? Do they bring somebody in, or do they do both? Well, history tells us they're going to draft somebody because they always draft a receiver, and they usually do it fairly high. And they have a need in the slot. It would seem they have a need in the slot. That that That's probably a matter of debate when you consider the fact that they have Calvin Austin III coming back uh, from injury. But we don't know uh, what he's going to give us. We haven't seen him. We don't know how healthy he is. And so to pencil him in as the, as the starting slot or the primary slot receiver uh, is a bit presumptuous so hey let me break in real quick on calvin austin the third did you get an opportunity to check out my interview with calvin austin the third this week i did not know you did an interview with calvin austin yeah i said that's exciting yo calvin's doing something with panini i had a chance to sit down and talk to him a nice 15 minute interview or so um fantastic guy there's an article on the website as well it's called Calvin Austin III has a singular focus, and his singular focus is getting in that first game and yeah. to be ready and to, to play. Uh, very humble guy. I I love what I see about him. Let me ask you this question, because I even brought this up to him. It's almost like the Steelers have an extra draft pick this year, and it's Calvin Austin Third. And the reason I say that, you know, they are bringing a guy in that they didn't have at all last year. Nothing. So this is, besides their rookie class and anybody they bring in, here's another addition. It's almost like Keith Gary back in 1984 when he held out for two years and finally came in, and they were a lot stronger with that that rookie class because they had an extra guy. But the best thing about it, and he tells you this, he's like, I'm not going to be a rookie, though. I'll be a new addition. But the thing is, I go to meetings. I work out. I'm rehabbing here. I go, I travel with the team. I'm acclimated. So that's why I'm really excited about this guy. He just didn't get to practice and play. Yeah, he knows the offense. Uh, the cohesiveness of retaining Matt Canada will benefit Calvin Austin. And and obviously everything you read about him last season made people excited because they just talked about him being a guy who had that next level speed that the Steelers wide receiver position has, has kind of lacked. And they, the Steelers have fast guys in terms of, you know, their ability to, to run a 40 and clock well, but, but they didn't, they don't always have guys who play real fast. They don't always have, they don't always have quick twitch guys. They got long striders. Claypool was a long strider. Pickens is a long strider, you know, guys that, you know, look really good running a 40, but are more straight line players. Calvin Austin, the third, is I got got a little more of that horizontal burst and a little, little more of that shake at the line of scrimmage, and he kind of goes zero to sixty like a sports car, and that's an, an element that the receiving core has lacked. So, so definitely exciting to, to to consider him. But I still think the Steelers will draft a receiver. They have to. They have a decision to make on Miles Boykin again. Here's a third guy. We talked about Snell and Watt, and here's a third guy, Miles Boykin, who was a great special teams player for the Steelers this year. And uh, are they going to bring him back in a wide receiver slash special teams role? But no matter what they do, I I anticipate them to to pick a receiver in the draft, maybe around uh, the third round somewhere. Well, let's talk about this, Kevin. We're going to look at everybody here. And there's one guy that you didn't bring up. That's Gunnar Olszewski. So I want to get to him in a moment because he's a really interesting guy. Deontay Johnson, you know, He's here. Yeah, I mean, he's he's going to be a mainstay. Oh, so is George Pickens. They saw a lot when Chase Claypool left. They saw a lot of, out of Steven Sims towards the end. They actually saw a lot out of Gunnar O at the end. He had those two gaffes in week two and week four on special teams that everybody got down on him. And Mike Tomlin says, hey, two's a habit. He earned his way back. And he was even catching some footballs, you know, in the uh, the last quarter of the season. So he's a guy, along with Boykin, who would do very well for them on special teams. And they do a lot more than what you see in the stat sheet. But Boykin is not 
you know, being a free agent, he's not guaranteed to be back. But Olszewski probably will be back. So that kind of, for me, when you throw in the fact that you've got Anthony Miller for another year too, you probably are going to be looking at a draft pick, like you said, and you're going to look at an undrafted free agent because the Steelers do really well with those guys and probably not anybody in free agency. No, I don't think so. You know, free agent wide receivers tend to, you know, the, the better ones to command huge numbers, huge dollars. Uh, and oftentimes you don't get your bang for your buck with those guys. There aren't a whole lot of free agent wide receiver uh, signings that go on to uh, excel with their with the their next team or be better with their next team than they were with the former one. So I think it's a little bit of a gamble. I think that sometimes the scheme fits not there, the acclimation to the new quarterbacks not there. Um, so I think that the Steelers would prefer, especially with their with their history of developing receivers, to draft their own and groom that receiver and the habits they want them to develop. If I bring one in, Kevin, it's going to be a Jericho Cotri type guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, a workman like guy who will be a possession receiver, vet, more of a veteran to mentor the younger guys in the room, and they they do have a young wide receiver room, uh, so I can see that making sense. So let's look at the tight end position. You know, our good friend and colleague Shannon White turned some heads on a show and in an article this week and actually two shows he did this he thinks that the uh the Steelers instead of bringing in a guy like Jordan Addison in the first round that they should bring in the kid from Notre Dame at tight end and a lot of people are up in arms that he's saying that but what he's saying is look if the if you guys want solid production and you want to bring that receiver type tight end in and you have the fact that you have three concussions out of pat fryermuth you might want to consider doing that now i kind of think that's uh something that they would not do but i get his logic in it um i i read the i read the article and i think that shannon made a made a really great case i don't think the steelers will go that route just because me too. they have me too they have too many needs in other spots for young players especially on the defensive side of the ball uh but it is intriguing i mean the nfl is increasingly becoming a tight end league uh what's old is new again and you see so many more so many teams now going uh to 12 personnel you look at the the eagles and the chiefs who are in the super bowl two teams that historically at least over the last five years or so, have made tremendous use of their tight ends. The Steelers are have, have a blossoming star in Fryermuth, but then you then you say to yourself, man, how would the Steelers look at it as a 12 personnel team? Uh, but I think they're becoming a 12 personnel team, and I think the guy uh, who who's going to be that second tight end is in-house. I think it's Connor Hayward. I really, I really was impressed with him as a rookie. I think his versatility makes it so that he can be used in so many different roles. Uh, and I don't know if they need to dra- spend a draft pick on one. You know, I actually think that uh, I'm, I'm not completely sure if Zach Gentry is going to be here or not. Um, I kind of think, you know, if I was a betting man, I, I'm thinking he actually sticks around. But y- you never know. There might might be value for what he brings. And I think he does bring a lot. And I think he's valuable to this team as a second tight end. If he's not there... I don't see the Steelers doing anything but bringing in a journeyman tight end or one of those, the uh, Kevin Raider type guys that uh, that's been around the block, maybe um, an unknown guy. That's your workman, your blue collar type guy. I, that's yeah. really all what I can see. I can see it being more of an undrafted free agent or a third tight end, a blocking specialist from another team. Right. I agree. I think if Jack Zach Gentry is smart, he'll try to stay in Pittsburgh. If the Steelers make him a fair offer because he knows what his role is here. And, and I'm not trying to disparage Zach Gentry in any way, but it's a lot easier to find a guy who specializes in what Zach Gentry does, which is basically, you know, he's a glorified lineman uh, who blocks well and, and can catch some pretty simple routes when called upon. It's a lot easier to find that guy than it is to find a guy who does what Connor Hayward does. So uh, I don't know, you know, will Zach Gentry get an opportunity somewhere? Maybe me or maybe somebody who's in need of a, of a second number two tight end who blocks will 
will you know make him an offer. Maybe he'll get a little more playing time, but he's got a role here. And with his somewhat limited skill set, I think he'd be smart to, to return. Well, let's go to the offensive line now. And we're going to stop after the offensive line. I know I mentioned doing the defense. We can do the defense next week and do it a whole lot more justice. So we're going to break this up into two parts and we're going to spend some time with the offensive line. Kevin, like you said at the beginning, you spent a lot of money to bring in James Daniels. You, There's no buyer's remorse with James Daniels. You spent some decent money to bring in Mason Cole and there's absolutely no buyer's remorse with Mason Cole either. In fact, I think they feel pretty good with the center position and that right guard position. Chuksakorafor, you know, I admit I was wrong. That was a very good signing. I'm glad they brought him in. I think the entire, the middle and the right side of that line is solid. Let's talk about the left side of that line. I think you can get away with Kevin Dotson. I, I think that you have a decent player and a slightly above average player in Mr. Dan Moore Jr., but I think you probably need an upgrade, and I think that comes during the draft. What are your thoughts? No, I, I agree exactly. I, I think that the Steelers are going to draft an offensive tackle, and I think they'll draft one high. You know, they, they haven't drafted an, an offensive lineman anywhere in the first or second round since David DeCastro back in 2012. So you got to go back a decade to find the last time that they spent a top two pick on an offensive lineman. Hey, and, hey, don't forget they did it twice that year, too. Mike Adams. Oh, yeah. Well, well yeah, it, Mike it, Adams, Mike Adams good, but he's easy yeah. to forget, unfortunately. Yeah. Sorry, Mike. But, but. They, they, they went offensive line in the first two dudes in 2012. Right. And that was just two years after they went, you know, offensive line with their number one pick in 2010 for Marquise Pouncey. So, uh, and they, they spent a high pick uh, in that same era on Marcus Gilbert. And yeah, you know, so those, they those went trenches. They went trenches in 2011 because yeah. they went Cam Hayward first and Marcus Gilbert second. Right. So they, they invested in the, in their big guys up front and they got a great return on, on that investment, which, uh, you know, and then they went away from it. Obviously, they they haven't done that in in a while now. And you have to think, I think that they recognize that that while Dan Moore Jr. was a pretty good run blocker for the Steelers this year, he he did some good things in the run game. As a matter of fact, when the Pittsburgh rushing offense began to really pick up uh, after the bye week, uh, they they were running left a lot behind door uh, Dotson and Moore, but. If you're the left tackle, and you and I both know this, man, your number one job is to protect the quarterback. And and he was not great. I mean, Dan Moore gave up 10 quarterback hits and seven sacks. And they were both far and away the highest on the team. And that's just not something you can have from your left tackle. So the so at a bare minimum, I think they'll spend a draft pick on a talented left tackle to compete with Dan Moore. Uh, and there's a distinct possibility that they'll look for a guy to upgrade him. Now, I've read I've read a decent amount of speculation that the Steelers may kick more inside to left guard to compete with Kevin Dotson, and that if Dotson wins, then Moore becomes kind of like a swing lineman. But that's an interesting thought because, again, he showed that he was more accomplished as a run blocker right now than a pass protector which sort of suits him a little bit better for an interior line position. He's not built really like a guard, but, uh, but his skill set seems to fit that at the moment. So it's very interesting when you think about, like, yeah, what are they going to do there? Uh, but I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a draft pick, not a free agent sign. Yeah, I, that's, I was going to ask you about the possibility of moving him inside. And, you know, if you do draft somebody high, the, the, you're, he's probably still not going to start week one. He's probably going to might go the Kenny Pickett route or might start week five and you let him redshirt a little bit or a small part of the season while you've got you're not getting killed to have Dan Moore Jr. in there. And Kevin Dotson has played well enough that he could stick around another season, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can I the only way I'd see them plugging in a new starting left tackle from day one 
would be if, you know, a rookie, maybe they spend a first round pick on a guy who blows them out of the water. You know, maybe, maybe one of those highly rated offensive tackles falls to the Steelers in round one and they feel like he's ready to go. Uh, or, you know, or, you know, or they, they sign a big, a big name guy, but I, I just don't see him doing that. I mean, like you look at last year's free agent class. I mean, Teron, Teron Armstead was the top left tackle on the board. He got $25 million a year to go to Miami and he, and he didn't even have a great year. I mean, he hurt his foot in week one and he was banged up all year long and never really was able to get healthy. Uh, and then, you know, you look like a guy like, uh, like Lyle Collins, who went from Dallas to Cincinnati and, and Cincinnati got him on a reasonable deal at about 10 million a year, but then he tore his ACL. He missed the, he missed the playoffs. He wasn't available for, for Cincinnati. So, I mean, like there's just, there's just risk there. A lot of these guys in this year's offensive tackle class are either older guys who are in their thirties or they're young guys at 26 years old who are going to get a massive contract, you know? So like, do the Steelers want to go that route? I just don't think that they, that they that they are i think you know like uh, in all honesty if if they had to live with running it back with their starting five would that be that that bad a thing i you know i don't think it would no it wouldn't you look at the progress they made as the as the year uh you know as the year moved on and um you look at all the change i mean everybody knew it was going to be a transition year for the line. Uh, you had a new line coach, Pat Meyer, who was trying to remake everybody's technique. And then you've got uh, a group of starters who have never played a single snap together going into the season. And yet, you know, they had this incredible continuity where they, they played 99.2% of all the offensive snaps together and they just got better and better and better. And so I think that they recognized like, Hey, we could use an upgrade, but if we can't find it, you know, we can we can start the season with the same five and be OK. Absolutely. And I, I think that's definitely something that they can do. So it's really interesting. Some of the things that can happen here. And man, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a, uh, I, I'm yeah, I'm a football geek and I love line play. I love watching the line. I'm, I'm just a firm believer that, yes, I, I totally understand that quarterbacks and wide receivers and corners are you know are the are the the guys that everybody looks for in the game today but but again you look at the Super Bowl right the Philadelphia Eagles are in the Super Bowl for one reason and that reason is they are an absolutely dominant unit up front on both sides of the football the Philadelphia Eagles mauled absolutely mauled the San Francisco 49ers up front on offense in the NFC Championship game I mean they were dry and San Francisco is the number one ranked defense in the NFL. And the Eagles were knocking them three and four yards off the ball. And you look at Philadelphia's offensive line and it's filled with top talent, high ranking draft picks uh, and guys that have, you know, some of the best pedigrees at their positions in the NFL. So like when I think about the Steelers and the recipe for success of this team with Kenny Pickett at quarterback and Najee Harris at running back, to me, a dominant offensive line is really what gets them where they want to go. So I'm I'm really excited to, to see what prospects they look at in the draft up front. Do you foresee them going the free agent route anywhere here? Because I could see them maybe bringing in a guard for some depth, but not uh, big enough to be Lael Collins or to be one that's uh, really a starter. Maybe they bring in a swing guy here. Yeah, I, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Somebody with a Mason Cole type resume, you know, who could play some guard, maybe play some center if they had to. Yeah, you, you look back to 2021. Here's Kendrick Green, who they draft in the third round, and he gets thrust into the starting lineup, and he's got to play center where he only played six games uh, in in his entire college career, and it just goes really poorly. And then Kendrick Green. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if he played snap this year on offense. Um, I don't. No. I mean, I did. Did he? I don't even. I don't. I don't believe ever. so. Yeah. Right. So, so they went from having a guy who was their starting center to to him not get not playing a single snap on the offensive side of the ball, which which tells you like they didn't they didn't need him this year because of how healthy they stayed. But I don't know if they want him to be the next guy in the lineup right so i mean they're they're definitely going to be in the market for a veteran guard especially since they're so young up front i mean mason cole's the oldest guy up front he's 26 
That's so awesome. a guy with some experience and some tread on the tires who, who can maybe be a mentor and has some versatility would probably be a, a smart move. They will. And once again, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Uh, stay tuned here with what we will have changes. We will have all kinds of information as it happens here on our own network. So definitely check everything out. You know, we've got to do a dude of the week and Kevin, I can't think of a better dude of the week than who we're going to have today. And let me preface this with, we do a dude of the week in season because it's what's happening in season. It's hard to pick a current player right now because nothing's really going on. And we have to look a little bit outside of it. So we're going to be thinking outside of the box, thinking outside of the bun. And this is a guy that we want to have a tribute to this week. And I'll let you take it from here. So, you know, you and I are both kids in the seventies and eighties when the Steelers were, were, you know, becoming the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we, as those, as those kids growing up, we knew that roster inside and out. Not only did we know the roster, but we, we mimicked those guys. When I went out into the backyard by myself uh, with my football and I threw it up in the air and I pretended to jump and catch it and run with it. I'd always, I'd always say, you know, like, Oh, here, Franco Harris doing this or whomever. And I had a good friend, my friend, Ed, who was stocky and strong uh, and a huge Steelers fan. And when Ed would come over, we'd play a little game in the backyard where, you know, we pretend to be the Steelers and you'd always, you'd always declare who you're going to be. I'd be all right, I'm, I'm Terry Bradshaw. And whenever Ed would declare, he'd say, I'm Sidney Thornton. Cause he was built just, just like Sidney Thornton, you know, and, and Ed, Ed's nickname would be the bowling ball. We'd be like, you know, give the, give it to the bowling ball. Uh, and he loved Sidney Thornton. He was built just like him. Uh, and so, you know, we, we have great, I have great memories of, of number, number 38, uh, who unfortunately passed away this week. So yeah, Sidney Thornton is, is our, our dude of the week. What do, what do you remember about Sidney Thornton? You know, I have been watching a lot of old games lately for the BTSC DeLorean. And I don't know if you got a chance to see, I did every, I did the complete catalog of every playoff game. And in the late seventies, Sidney Thornton was maybe their third running back because you still had greatness from Rocky Blyer. Franco was still on point, but man, Sidney there was a game when all three of them had a hundred yards. I think it was against Cleveland or maybe, maybe Sydney had like 88 in that game and everybody else was over a hundred, but they, they were just a machine running the football and Sydney was one of those guys. And not only that, but number 38, he was very reliable for that team, had a lot of touchdowns for that team, but he was a character too. When he got hurt, he was, uh, he was going back home to Louisiana not to a specialist, well, to a specialist, but it was like a voodoo specialist. And he brought <laughs> he brought Terry Bradshaw this this weird concoction that smelled like death to put on his elbow. <laughs> and Terry Bradshaw would be talking about it. He, the guy had complete personality. He was, you know, lost in the shuffle with a lot of people. But hey, he had football cards, and we knew who he was because of football cards, and that's how we learned who to love. Yeah, and. He ended up going to the USFL. He played for the Oklahoma Outlaws. I remember him there. I just saw a picture of his USFL card, and I, I just smiled because he was wearing number 38, and it was a black jersey, and it, it almost looked the same. And yeah. when I think of a guy like Sydney, I think about my childhood. I think about my relationship with my family and how I watched the games with them, and they introduced me to that. And Sydney was a huge part of it. You just didn't really know it then. Yeah. But – when we lose guys like Sam Davis, like we lost a couple years ago and we lost a Benny Cunningham. And those just seem like names from the past that aren't Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris, but they were so spectacular for that team. Cause that was a team back then. And everybody knew their role. And I'm not going to say they shut their mouth. I'm not going to be the rock here because they, they weren't quiet about it. They uh, stuck up for themselves too but they knew what they meant to the city and they were all heroes. And Sidney yeah. Thornton was one of those heroes. So may he rest in peace. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one more quick Sidney, <laughs> Sidney Thornton anecdote from, from my childhood. We, we played, 
<laughs> Times have changed, man. We played this ridiculous game we used to call Steel Curtain. And uh, and it, we played it at a bank. And the bank had like a, a little side area where it was just a small patch of grass. It couldn't have been more than 10 yards by 10 yards with a line of shrubs at the one end. And uh, we would go there and play football on that little patch of grass. And we'd get, we'd get a good crew. We'd get 10 or 12 guys and it'd be five on five in a, in a 10, 10 by 10 yard area patch. And the rule was you, you had to run the ball. Uh, you got three downs to score and the, and the end zone was the shrubs. So you basically were like getting thrown into the shrubs and like, you know, that was like the touchdown. But uh, whenever you got down near the goal line, you know, we would we would give the ball to Ed, you know, the bowling ball, Sidney Thornton. And the thing he used to do, and I just thought of it, and you said, know your role, which just reminded me of this. But if he was wearing like a, a hooded sweatshirt, he'd always, you know, everybody would have their jerseys on. But if it was cold out, you'd have like a hooded sweatshirt underneath it. He would take the hood and he would roll it up uh, behind and, and then tuck it underneath his jersey. So it looked like a <laughs> neck roll. <laughs> Thornton, he always wore the neck roll, you know, so he'd, he'd have like the fake neck roll underneath his jersey and we'd hand, we'd hand him the ball and he'd hammer into the shrubs, man. So I love great, it. Great memories of, uh, of Mr. Thornton. You know, there, there's a song called uh, 19 something. And I forget who the artist was. It was about 2003 when it came out, it's a country song. And, uh, and he's singing, you know, I was Roger Staubach in my backyard, you know, and I, I keep on thinking about that because I was Terry Bradshaw in my own backyard yeah. and I was Franco Harris and I was John Stallworth and I was, I was everybody <laughs> and uh, I was Frank Pollard, you know, I mean, I, I was a little bit of everybody. So that, that's just what you look back at those days and it's special. So I, I never met your friend, Ed, but <laughs> I feel like he's my buddy now because <laughs> We all had Ed's, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we absolutely. all had Brian's and we all had Kevin's, you know? We all, yeah. we all had those guys. So it, it's uh, so great. But we had the Pittsburgh Steelers and we had those guys to root for. And man, I'm so glad that I'm doing these articles. So I get to, I go and watch these old games and I, I should just send you some of the highlights or just like go back and look because I have even the full games in the articles too. And the highlights of these playoff games. And it's so cool because it's just, it's like you have a little time machine and you're watching this and you feel good watching it. It's like every, all the pain goes away as you're watching this. And then, yeah. then you have the stark punch in the face, realizing that Franco's gone and Sydney's gone and, and T Bell's gone and, and Mike Webster's gone. And, and you start thinking of that and you're like, oh my gosh, LC and Dwight White. And you're like, oh I'm getting old and you feel your own mortality, but for that little bit, when you're not in reality, it's just magic because we were blessed to be Pittsburgh Steelers fans back then. And we're blessed to be Pittsburgh Steelers fans now, Kevin. Well said, man. I'm going to let you end the show on that. That was excellent. I will. I want to throw in two more pop culture rest in pieces. Um, I would like to uh, Shirley Laverne, Shirley, Cindy Williams gone at 75 years old. That's uh, if you're like me, you grew up with watching Laverne and Shirley, whether it was in syndication every day at like 430 or you watched it at 830 after happy days on Tuesday nights. Yeah, absolutely. Loved, uh, loved Laverne and Shirley uh, laughed out loud at Lenny and Squiggy all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, great, Lenny's, great the, Lenny's the only, only one left now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then. I got to throw out one that just happened today. And you know, I love my professional wrestling and this is a name. Not a lot of people know, but a lot of people know their brother, but there was a guy called the genius and he was also called leaping Lanny Poffo. And a lot of people don't know that Randall Poffo is the great macho man, Randy Savage. And that's his brother. And when he went into the hall of fame, uh, Lanny Poffo accepted it posthumously for him. So it it's, he passed away today at the, only 68 years old he did poems he would come out in a, like a graduation cap and gown he was the genius and yep. he was he was really entertaining and that's another guy that just takes me back to being a, a teenager and a kid and uh when you lose shirley from laverne and shirley because for me she was cute you know i was like nine and uh, and she was this this pretty innocent girl and yep. uh and uh 
then uh, you have the wrestlers that were your heroes and the football players that you're heroes. I'm not trying to break this down on a dour note. I'm just like, gosh, you know, the older you get, the more people you lose. It's because it's the more people you know and are introduced to, whether it be in pop culture and in life. So I just want to pay tribute to them as well. We could add them on to our dudes and dudettes of the week. For sure. Yeah. Sobering, but uh, keep, you know, get you a little more focused on your own life and uh, helps you appreciate things. Take care of yourself. Take care of your health because your health is just not you. It's all the people around you. And yeah, don't be petty. Uh, you know what? Realize when you're wrong, you're wrong. Right wrongs, you know, forgive easier. You know, that's that's one of the things uh, tomorrow is not promised. And I'm finding that out more and more. So uh, I try to live that in my present. I, I struggle doing it every day. I, I, I slip back into being human, but uh, definitely realize when we suffer loss like this and this is not a grave loss for us because they're not people that touched our lives but they touched our lives in different ways but let them remind you of the beautiful people that are in your house and that are a phone call away and then have uh, physically touched your life and mentally touched your life so don't forget that too so with that being said, Kevin, thank you so much. This was this is always a pleasure to be on the show with you. Yes, sir. Always great talking to you, Brian. And hope everybody out there has a safe and healthy week. You got it. We will be back next week. We're going to talk about the defense. We're going to talk about free agent, draft, or hey, do they make a trade? We can talk about all of that stuff. And we're going to do it right here on, here we go, the Steelers show on our network. So with that being said, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. He is Kevin Smith. And we want to remind you to keep your feet on the ground. And keep reaching for the hypocycloid Steelers fans. Hey.